you have a copy of God's Word, either a printed copy like I have here, or you have a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, and open up your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 as we continue our series in this last book of the Bible. If you Google the word Antichrist, or you Google the phrase, the Antichrist, you're going to come up with 16 to 21 million results. 16 to 21 million results. What that means is that you could study and research what the internet says about the Antichrist for a long, long time. But what is even more amazing is this. If you type in the search bar, who is the Antichrist, that's going to come up with 1.3 billion results. Now what that tells me is, that a lot of people are curious about the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? When is the Antichrist going to come? What is the Antichrist going to do? And throughout history, people have speculated that the Antichrist has come in the form of many different people. In the early days of the church, people thought that Nero was the Antichrist. And then people thought Napoleon might be the Antichrist. And then they said Hitler is the Antichrist. Then they said Kissinger could be the Antichrist. And then Gorbachev could be the Antichrist. And many people have said the Pope is the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, a number of the reformers said that the Pope was the Antichrist. People like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, John Wesley all identified the Pope as the Antichrist. But let me remind you that the Bible says that many antichrists will come. In other words, there will be people that, that have that spirit of the antichrist in every single generation. But I believe it goes even further than that. I believe in every single generation there is a man that, God, that Satan is perhaps grooming to be the antichrist. Because you see, Satan isn't all-knowing. Satan isn't all-wise. Satan doesn't know the future like God does. And so Satan doesn't know when the end will come. He doesn't know when that final battle will be. So I believe that, that most likely in every generation there is a man that he is grooming, that he is preparing that can be that Antichrist. On November the 1st, 1999, Newsweek magazine had a cover story that was simply entitled prophecy and in that article it was reported that 40 percent of American adults believed that the world would end between a battle with Jesus and the Antichrist and then it went on to say that 19 percent of those adults believed that the Antichrist was alive 
when that article was written. Now, in the first epistle of John, John warned us that the Antichrist is coming. And then John receives this vision that we call the Revelation. And in the Revelation, John sees this vision of the Antichrist that is coming. And what John warned the people about in his epistle, he now sees as a reality in the book of Revelation. Now, the Antichrist is described in many different ways in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, he is described as the little horn. He is described as the prince who is to come. In Revelation chapter 6, he is described as the rider on the white horse carrying a bow. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he is described as the man of lawlessness. And in Revelation 13, the Antichrist is described as the beast rising up out of the sea. Now the word Antichrist simply means anti-Christ or against Christ. One who comes in place of Christ. The Antichrist is the anti-Messiah. The Antichrist is at war with the true Christ. But regardless of what name we use, he is the man that Satan uses in the last days to carry out his plan. And so in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, we are given a a little hint of who he is and what he's like. So if your Bibles are open, follow along. As I begin reading in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his own power and authority or throne and great authority. Now the first thing we see is that the description of the Antichrist reveals who he is and what he has come to do. John begins by telling us that the Antichrist is the beast who rises up out of the sea. Now that word beast means a dangerous animal, a venomous animal, a deadly animal. But we know that that is symbolism because the beast is not going to be an animal. The beast is going to be a human being. But because he is described this way, we know that the Antichrist is going to be dangerous and he's going to be deadly. And then we are told that he will arise out of the sea. Now again, this is symbolism. This isn't saying that that the Antichrist is going to show up one day coming up out of the ocean. No, the sea is symbolic. Some people say the sea represents the Gentile nations. Others say that the sea refers to the social unrest that makes possible for this man to rise to power. I believe that both are true. In Revelation chapter 17 verse 15 it says this. The waters where the prostitute is ruling represent the masses of people of every nation and every language. In Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20 it says this, But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. 
I believe that this sea from which the Antichrist, the beast, rises represents the nations of the world that are in chaos and turmoil. Napoleon came out of the bloody chaos of the French Revolution. Lenin came out of the revolution of the labor movement in Russia. It was out of the social upheaval and the political turmoil after World War I that Hitler was able to rise to power. It's typically out of these times of chaos and confusion that these dictatorial leaders will rise. The Bible tells us that he will rise to power during a time of chaos and, and he will seem to bring peace into this chaotic world. I believe that the Antichrist will be a very charismatic personality. He will be a, an incredible communicator. He will be handsome. He will have the ability to get the masses to follow him. It begins by him signing a peace treaty with Israel. We know this from the book of Daniel. And we know that during this time of peace, that the Jewish people evidently rebuild their temple in Jerusalem because in chapter 11 they are worshiping in that temple. But at the three and a half year period of that treaty, the Antichrist breaks that treaty and he sets himself up to be worshiped in the Jewish temple. And so that's the beast that rises up out of the sea. But if you look at verse 1, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice a family likeness. The beast that we see in chapter 13 looks much like the dragon that we see in chapter 12. In chapter 12, it says this, Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Now, as we read that in chapter 12 and we continue to read, we discover that this dragon is none other than the serpent of old, Satan, the devil. And then when we just see the description of the beast, he is described in the same way. And so the beast is the spitting image of the dragon. The beast is, is much like the dragon. Jesus said when he was here on earth, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was saying, I am God in the flesh. That's what the incarnation means. The incarnation means God with us, God with me, God with flesh and bone. And just as Jesus is God with flesh and bone, here we see that Satan or the beast, the Antichrist, is Satan with flesh and bone. Whatever Satan's nature is, whatever Satan's personality is, we see in the beast. The beast is a visible manifestation of the invisible Satan. We are told that he will have the same ten horns, the same seven heads, just like the dragon. The only difference here is that he will have ten crowns. And we discover when we begin reading in chapter 17 and we study that what those ten crowns represent. And notice, on every head there was a blasphemous name. That's the Antichrist's purpose. His purpose is to defy God and speak evil 
of God. But then look at verse 2. In verse 2, we move from seeing this family likeness that the beast looks just like Satan in bodily form to seeing the family lineage. Verse 2 takes us back to to Daniel chapter 7. And what is interesting is, is Daniel and John see the same thing but in reverse order. Daniel sees these three animals, but he's looking forward into the future to things that have not yet happened, whereas John is looking back into the past. He is seeing things that have already taken place. And Daniel and John tell us about this lion and this bear and this leopard. And these three animals, Daniel tells us, represent the Babylonian Empire and the Mede-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire. And what this is saying is that the Antichrist is a conglomeration of all of these evil, wicked powers in the past. He is filled with their fiercity. He is filled with their, their ability to strike fast. And he is filled with their regal. And we are told that the dragon gives power to the beast. He gives him power, he gives him his throne, and he gives him his authority. You see, the beast will be energized by the power of Satan. Understand, this is important. The Antichrist is not only possessed by Satan, but in the final three and a half years of the tribulation, Satan will literally take over the body of the Antichrist. Satan will make his dwelling inside the body of the Antichrist and somehow, some way, he seduces the people of the world. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 3. It says, I saw one of the heads of the beast seem wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast? They exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed. Now, if you're following along in your Bible and and your Bible has a word like that, like allowed, underline that word or circle that word. That is important. The beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months, three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his temple, that is, those who live in heaven. Now we know from chapter 17, and we're going to study it in several weeks, that the seven heads represent seven kings. And we discover here that one of those kings, one of those leaders, will be suit will be killed but he will also be miraculously supernaturally resurrected we're told he has a fatal wound we are told that again in verse 14 but what is amazing to me is that the world that will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus is astonished and amazed by the resurrection of the beast now some of you are probably asking does the beast literally come back to life does he literally die and and is he resurrected back to life and we know that Satan is a counterfeit we know that Satan is a con artist we know that Satan seeks to deceive he has been doing that his entire existence since the fall but I believe with all my heart 
that this is a literal resurrection. And you say, why do I believe that? Well, remember, the beast, the Antichrist, is inhabited by Satan. You can't